Good morning to one and all. I'd like to bid you a warm and special welcome this morning to First Friday and indeed to those that are online on our Facebook or the World Wide Web. You too are very welcome. Um, just a few wee announcements this morning. Um, and we're glad to announce that this morning we're going to have the recommencement of Sunday School and indeed other organisations this week. The Women's Bible Study will be on Monday evening at 7.30 in the Church Hall. The Bible Study and Prayer Meeting on Wednesday evening at 8pm in Church Hall. The GB will recommence this Thursday evening from 6.30. The BB will recommence on Friday evening from 6.30. And indeed there's more information on the Church website and the Facebook pages for all these organisations. The PW have decided not to hold their monthly meeting this January, but if you just watch the space, hopefully it'll be back on in February. The 2020 financial report is available for collection this morning in the church vestibule. So if you haven't already received your, um, your report for 2020, please pick one up on the way out. Also, if you haven't received your FWO and mission envelopes, the remaining ones are in the wee table in the vestibule. So if you could pick those on the way out, and maybe if I could ask the elders if at the end of the day's service, if there's any remaining envelopes and if they're part of your district, if you could maybe pick those up and distribute those in due course. Um, if anyone requires a pastoral care this week, if you could maybe contact David Scott or indeed any of the elders, we can get that sorted. And the special speaker next Sunday will be the Reverend Colin Harris no stranger to us. And finally, a special welcome again to Mark, who, while we all know him, is indeed a special speaker this morning. And thank Mark for all that he does for us. And just hand over to him now. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Derek. <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This verse is very well known to us all. And it's one of those rare verses in Scripture when Scripture talks about itself. Although we'll be reading another one very shortly. But this wonderful metaphor in Psalm 109 shows us the wisdom of the Word of God. For it has the power to light up our paths, even the darkest parts of our lives. And it is a lamp to our feet. It's not a, a well-lit runway where we can see to the very end so that we can see all the bumps and snares from a long way off but it is a lamp just enough to put one foot past the next never misguiding us and never overrun by darkness it's a light that can illuminate all the parts of our life that we would rather keep hidden convicting us of sin and pointing us to the light the light of the world Christ Jesus it is a light that is not to be hidden, but a light we are to shine upon a dark world, faithfully teaching its doctrines, its precepts, and its commands. With that in mind, as we come to feast on God's word shortly, let us sing to the very one that the scriptures tell us of. Let's stand and sing the words of our first hymn, The Lord is King, Lift Up Thy Voice.
Let's bow our heads as we come to God in prayer. Let's pray. The Lord is King, lift up thy voice. Come make your wants, your burdens known. He will present them at the throne. We thank you, Father, for your Son, our prophet, our priest, and our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is your word that makes us wise unto salvation in him. We thank you that it is your word that lights our daily path, that is a lamp to show us the way to go. We thank you that if we follow that path, led by that light, we will never falter. We will never go wrong. We will never cease to sing, the Lord omnipotent is king. That is the song we pray that would ring throughout the whole of heaven and earth in one magnificent voice. He reigns above all nations and empires. He is the judge of all the earth. Holy and true are all his ways. He stands at your side, the man of love, the crucified. What beautiful words in that hymn. Father, all of us have come into this house today with many different attitudes, many different worries and fears. Some come in a joyful spirit and full of hope. Others in dross and despair. But we have all come into this house nonetheless. We pray everyone in this building now would be focused on the primary things. Your word taught, your son worshipped, our God glorified on this your day. Father, may none of us leave this place today until you have spoken right into the hearts of everyone present. May you use the hymns and the prayers to challenge and encourage us surely. But above all, we place your word at the center of our worship. Father, may we see its wisdom, its truth unchanged, unchanging, shining from age to age, the glorious words from this page. It is a lamp that we are to bring to all the nations. So this morning, let us be of one heart and of one voice. Teach us from its truth we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Epistle of Second Timothy. I will be looking specifically from verses 1 to 5 of chapter 4 later on. But for the sake of context, we'll read from chapter 3 and verse 16 to chapter 4, verse 8. So our reading is Second Timothy, chapter 3, and beginning at verse 16. This is God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. And we end our reading there. Boys and girls, I want to talk to you this morning about a very special animal. And I want you to try and guess what it is with a few clues. My wife told me you wouldn't be able to get it this morning, so I want you to prove her wrong. I'm going to give you some clues. So it has, it has four legs. That's a start. It has a tail. And it's very small. That doesn't really narrow it down. I'll keep going. It's a reptile. It has a very long tongue. Some of them have even got horns. Um, some people keep them as pets. And I'll give you one final clue, and this might help you. It has two eyes, and both of its eyes can look in different directions at the one time. Can anybody tell me? Yep. Sorry? A frog? No, it's not a frog. Anything else? Yep. It's a type of lizard. Any more specifics? Yeah, go ahead, Michael. Oh, I thought you were going to get it there. You started the right way. I'll tell you what it is. It's a chameleon. Okay, what we're thinking of this morning is a chameleon. That's what I want to think about for a little minute. And boys and girls, chameleons have a really amazing ability that not too many other animals can do. They have a wonderful talent and it's to do with their skin. Can anybody tell me what is so special about a chameleon? What can it do with its skin? Charlotte? Sorry? It can change colour. That's right. And it's an amazing ability. And some of them, some of them, not all of them, but most of them can change colour. And the reason the chameleon has this fantastic ability, it's not just to look nice, it's not just to impress its friends, but it's actually for safety. Because chameleons, they're small, and there's a lot of animals that are bigger than them, predators that would love to just grab them and eat them up for lunch. So God made them so that they could blend in to their surroundings. So if a chameleon is maybe sitting on the trunk of a tree, it would be a brownie color. If it was sitting on a rock down on the ground, it would be maybe a grey colour. And of course, if it's running through the grass or it's on a leaf, then it would change colour and it would be green. It's absolutely amazing. I'm sure if any of you could do that same thing, you would be scaring your mums and dads and your brothers and sisters, and it would be chaos. But chameleons do it just to stay out of danger, to hide and to blend in with their surroundings. Boys and girls, the passage from the Bible that we have just read there is written by the great Apostle Paul. He's the man that went out into much of the world to tell people about Jesus. And this is actually a letter. It's a letter to his friend and to his colleague, Timothy. And Paul has given Timothy some advice. And really in this part, he's given Timothy a command. And the command is this. Very simple. Preach the word. And he goes on to say to always be ready to use this word. That's the Bible. To teach people. To correct them if they're going down a wrong path. 
and to always be faithful in teaching it no matter what. He tells Timothy that people aren't always going to want to listen to him. They won't always like what God has to say to them through his word. And so they might turn away. And they might go to other people who will just tell them what they want to hear. And so Timothy might even suffer when he goes on to teach God's word. But Timothy isn't to be like all those other preachers who blend in with the world. He's not to be like those who are against God. But instead he's to stand out. He's to do what God commands to preach everything in his word, no matter what the cost. And that's where that little animal, the chameleon, comes in. Because as wonderful and as amazing as a chameleon is, God has made it that way. It didn't evolve. That's the way God made it. We are to be nothing like that little animal. It changes when danger is near. It blends in with whatever is around it. So much so that if I was to show you a picture of a chameleon, you might not even be able to see it. You might not even know that there's an animal there. It's so good at it. But that's not what we're to be like if we are Christians, as people who, who know and trust God, who believe his word. Because if we follow Jesus, if we know him as saviour, we're to stand out. And we're to stand up for him, no matter what the cost. Sometimes people do blend in. Sometimes people maybe come to church, and they look like a Christian when they're at church. But then they go out, and they act the way their friends do or the way their families do or whoever they're with. And you might be tempted to do that. Especially when you get a little older. Because you might want to fit in. You want to blend in. You want to be accepted. You might even just want to have an easier time of it. Not admit that you're a Christian. But boys and girls, don't, don't make that mistake. Don't be like a chameleon. Instead, stand up and show your colours. Let people know who you are, no matter what. Let people know you're a Christian, that you love Jesus, and that you'll follow him wherever he leads. That little verse that we read out at the start of the service, really well-known verse, and you probably know it quite well yourselves, it called God's word, the Bible, it called it a light and a lamp. And a light brightens up the way, doesn't it? Boys and girls, we're not to hide that light. Because there are still people out in our world today that need to have the way lit up for them. So don't blend in with your surroundings. Don't just act like the crowd around you. Don't act like that wonderful little reptile, no matter how amazing it is. But instead, boys and girls, make sure you stand up. Stand out. And shine the light of the word to everybody you know. Let's sing about that shining now with the words of your hymn. Jesus bids us shine with a pure, clear light. And after, the sing, after we sing this hymn, the boys and girls can go out to Sunday school again. But let's stand and sing.
let's come now to God in, in prayer with our prayers of thanks and intercession. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in prayer to thank you for your glorious word. To thank you, Father, for the Bible. That light to our path and the lamp to our feet. We thank you for its power to, to convict and to convince. We thank you for its authority above all other written words of corrupt man. And Father, forgive us when we receive that corruption often more readily when, than the words of our Creator. We thank you that they are indeed your words, breathed out of your mouth, inspiring ancient authors to pen each sacred letter. We thank you for faithful men who dare to preach it to us each week in a world that despises it. We thank you that it is used not to wrap us up in soft sentiments, not to feed our own lusts and desires, but to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us, to teach us, to equip us and to sustain us. Above all, we thank you that these holy writings can make us wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your church on earth. We thank you that we can gather each week to worship and to sing praises to your name, to learn from your word, to hear not a minister, not a preacher, but to listen for your voice in each message. We thank you that you have preserved your church and people through the ages. And we thank you that this word will be preached until your son comes again in all of his glory for it will never be blotted out of that, we are sure. We thank you for our own worship services here, and especially this week, we thank you for the return of Sunday School today, and GB and BB in the coming days. We thank you for each young person who attends and each leader who comes faithfully each week to study your word with them. We thank you that midweek will again resume on Wednesday, and all the other organizations that will soon be up and running. Father, in a crazy world, a world that is at war with you more, well, as much now as ever, we thank you for the blessings of small victories. We think of the Asher's Bakery case, which this week has been settled. We thank you that that family refused to blend in or to bow down to pressure and opinions of carnal man, but stood solid in your strength and in your grace. We thank you even for the victory of that NHS nurse who wore across the work, who was harassed and persecuted, but now has won her tribunal. And justice has come. But of course, we can't say the same of, of much of the rest of the world. Father, we're saddened that members of our own Commonwealth this week, we think of the bill that's passed in Canada that means men who stand up and preach against Biblical sexual morality who preach on the sin of homosexuality can from today face up to five years in prison. Nevertheless, we thank you for many faithful men who have decided to stand up next week and preach it anyway. For your word will not be silenced. We thank you for the few who are still biblical preachers in that land. May they put all others to shame and show their error in doing so. And we see Australia in the news too, a land that we think of 
They're standing for freedom and liberty. But we see today the division and tyranny. We are grieved at the thought of what many of our brothers and sisters in much of that land are facing. But we pray that your church will stand firm in the face of that. And that the biblical mantra of loving one's neighbor might actually be a reality. And not a fanciful show of hypocrisy. Father, we come to our own community. And we pray for those who are ill today and and over the last few weeks and months. It is a time of year when many fall ill and become unwell, as always. But we pray that you will lay your healing hand upon them. Especially those who would be with us this morning otherwise. We pray for those who have been recently bereaved. Again, this time of year is a difficult one for all those who have lost friends and loved ones. So comfort them in their sorrow and their grief. Father, we thank you for the great numbers of our family here in First who have returned to be with us in person. It's wonderful to see and it is encouraging. But Father, we pray that you might encourage us even more by bringing many more back out who have not yet entered the building again. Father, this place is not a place of fear, but a place of hope. May those who are at home watching still know that hope and come to participate in our fellowship once again. Father, this morning as we come to listen to your voice through your word, we pray that soon a faithful man may be standing in this pulpit every week, a man who is unashamed and unwavering, a man who will teach this congregation sound biblical doctrine, who will live his life in every part, wholly and completely for you. And we have no doubt that you are preparing him for us even now. May we be truly blessed in whoever it is that you send us. We offer our prayers before you now and ask that as we come to be taught from your word, you might still our hearts, you might take away all that might distract our minds and help us focus solely on your message for all of us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning uh, we have read, as far as we're aware, some of the final words of, well, the written words of Paul. That great apostle who brought the gospel to the Gentiles, who penned so much of the New Testament, he's at the end of his life. And he knows it. The time of his departure has come. And you would think then, knowing this, that Paul would be ready to impart some wisdom, to have some very important things to say, not just to Timothy, but of course, by God's Spirit to us as well. And of course he does. For he gives Timothy a charge, a forceful directive, a command. And this morning, I would ask that All of us take this charge very seriously. We take it as a significant one. Not one that we just hold other people accountable to, but one that we can be held accountable to as well. And the charge is this. Preach the word. And I want to split these first five verses of chapter four into four sections this morning. Firstly, we'll note that This is a serious charge. That's verse 1. It's a serious charge. Verse 2 tells us the content of this charge. And thirdly, verses 3 and 4 show us 
that this is an urgent charge. And then finally we'll look at verse 5. And we'll break that down into four parts. What is the attitude to this charge? What is the cost? What is the extent? And what is the goal of this charge? So there's a lot to get through. So let's get stuck straight in. Verse 1. This is a serious charge. Paul says to Timothy these words. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. In the presence is a legal term. It's one that Paul and Timothy would be well aware of in those days. And if there was going to be a a court case with a magistrate or a judge, a letter would most likely be served and it would say in it that it would take place in the presence of the honourable judge or magistrate, so and so. And it makes sense that Paul's talking in legal terms here concerning magistrates and judges because very shortly Christ is introduced as judge. This is a charge made in the presence of God and his son Christ Jesus to preach the word. And Paul is driving home to Timothy the seriousness of his position, the seriousness of his responsibility. Any man, whoever he may be, that stands in a pulpit and preaches has an immense responsibility. James tells us that in his letter. He says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This charge is a serious one. And it's made especially serious because it's carried out in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Every person ever to minister the word of God is under strict gaze of our God and his Son. And that should be a sobering truth, and it is a sobering truth. And this serious charge comes with a a unique accountability to Christ. Not just as Saviour, not just as Lord, but as judge. For he will judge the living and the dead. Everyone, all who have ever lived, will face the judgment of Christ. And we know from other parts of Scripture, it's a final judgment. My dad's not overly happy this week because he has to do jury duty. But there'll be no jury to have their say in this case. There'll be no new evidence to come to light. There'll be no witnesses to call to stand. We're thinking of the Asher's Bakery case this week. Went through all the courts in the land. Well, in the final judgment, there'll be, there'll be no appeal to a higher court. The decision is final. On that day, our judge will know exactly how faithful or unfaithful we've been how godly our lives have been lived and there'll be no hour there'll be no minute there'll be no second of our lives that will escape his judgment he is the one who has called each preacher he is the one who has empowered each preacher therefore the one who ministers the word is not ultimately accountable to their peers they're not ultimately accountable to any board or panel The one who preaches is not ultimately accountable to the one who pays their wage, not to any elders, sorry men, not to any particular denomination. They're ultimately accountable to Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, none other. It is to him and to his word 
that we are to be faithful, not just as preachers, but as believers. Those who preach it unfaithfully to gain prestige, such people do the work of the devil. No two ways about it. They don't do the work of God. Someone who preaches the true word of God, who preaches the gospel faithfully, will cause Satan to tremble at the very sight of him. But to those who don't, he smiles over them. He rubs his hand together in glee as they deliver a soft message that only ushers lost souls to hell. Paul is emphasizing this unique accountability that believers, especially those who are preachers of the word, have to Christ as judge. For the believer, it's not condemnation. It's more a judgment of evaluation. For believers have already been declared righteous. They don't need to fear the condemnation. But that doesn't mean that we won't have to give an account for every thought, word, or deed. Also in verse 1 is mentioned his appearing and his kingdom. The word for his appearing in Greek or is the Greek word from which we get the word epiphany. It's the word that would be used if the emperor was coming to town. And of course, it's referring to the second coming of Christ. No specifics here, there's, there's no great detail in this passage, but generally it's referring to the second coming of Christ. He will appear, he will judge the nations, and he will come to establish his eternal kingdom once and for all. Paul is saying in this first verse, and into the second, I am setting a charge before you, a directive, a command, in the very presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the judge, to whom all mankind, living and dead, will answer one day, who is coming again to set up his eternal kingdom before him. Make sure you preach the word. He's saying, Timothy, this is a serious charge. Do not take it lightly. Take care how you respond, for you will answer to Christ himself. This is a serious charge from Paul. What then is the content of this charge? What does the, the command entail? Well, it's obvious enough as we read verse 2. It reads, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Notice that Paul doesn't split the word into parts. He doesn't say preach the New Testament. He doesn't say preach about heaven, preach about the parts that are easy, preach the nice parts. It's a serious charge to preach the word. The complete revealed word of God as written and contained in the Bible. All of it. Every word. It is the entire counsel of God. It is all to be preached. He is focusing not on the preacher, but on that which is to be preached. You know yourselves as members of a congregation that not all men who, who preach are exciting or eloquent or entertaining. Not all are great orators or great gifted speakers, and we would all love to be, but it doesn't matter. For God doesn't always send captivating preachers. But he sends them to preach a captivating message. The effectiveness of preaching does not depend on the skills of the man in the pulpit. The power is in the message. The message of the word of God in its entirety. 
Because preaching the word faithfully allows God to speak, not man. For he is declaring his own word by his messenger. It's not always easy to preach what must be preached. And you know yourselves, it's not always to hear, it's not always easy to hear what is being taught, albeit faithful. But God's word preached faithfully has the final say, and it carries the ultimate authority. It is complete and it's perfect. And preaching it preaching its truth faithfully is the only kind of preaching that will ever transform lives of those who hear it. Then he says, Be ready. Be ready. Words that suggest urgency, suddenness. He is to be ready, is to be prepared. These are words that will be used when a soldier is ready to go into battle. Words that describe a guard of something maybe very valuable that has to be ready, that has to be prepared at all times in case of surprise attack. And there are also words that should describe a faithful preacher especially as we add in the rest of the phrase, be ready in season and out of season. Well, first of, God, first of all, God's word is in season at all times, even though some people like to say or to think that it is out of season. A faithful preacher is always to proclaim God's word, both when it's popular and when it's unpopular, both when it's safe and when it's unsafe, not just when it's convenient, not just to a particular audience. He is to preach it even when it seems unsuitable, or improper. When it comes to God's word, your culture doesn't matter. Your traditions do not matter. Your popularity as a preacher doesn't matter. Your reputation is irrelevant. Your acceptance or esteem must never come into play. It must never alter what you preach. Your commitment as a preacher and as a believer is to proclaim God's true word faithfully at all times regardless of circumstances, regardless of repercussions. The man writing this letter knew about repercussions, as did all of the apostles. They were beaten, they were thrown into prison, many of them martyred, yet they preached faithfully the whole counsel of God at the very end. You don't need to be a preacher, and you don't need to have a platform to bring God's word to the folk that you know. Even if you only have a small corner to shine brightly in as our children's hymn mentioned. It's enough. But we have a duty to bring it in all seasons, at all times, even when it seems counterintuitive. Believers, and especially preachers, are to be ready at all times to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reproof really refers to the correcting of behavior, correcting of biblical error or from false doctrine it focuses more on the outward person but rebuking is slightly different especially when we understand the Greek for the word, rebuking deals more with the inner man it is the correction of a person's motives it is convincing them of their sin, leading them to repentance one commentator puts it, to reprove discloses the sinfulness of sin to rebuke discloses the sinfulness of the sinner. To reprove discloses the sinfulness of the sin. To rebuke discloses the sinfulness of the sinner. Part of a preacher's charge, part of the, the content of, of this charge, is to expose, to reprove, and to rebuke sin. 
It is a sin that causes separation from God. Sin that causes complete separation for unbelievers. and Temporary separation for the believer, at least from close fellowship. They're not nice things when we're on the receiving end of them. But they're for our good, for our spiritual health, and for our well-being. There are two things that we probably don't give enough attention to in our churches today. Calling people out, calling believers out of false doctrines is part of preaching. Whatever happened to, to church discipline? Reproving and rebuking those who need it for their own sakes and for the sakes of preserving God's word in a congregation. It's part of the preacher's role. Timothy will have to refute that which is false. He and all preachers are also to exhort, to convince, to encourage sinners to believe, to know their own sinfulness, and to repent. How is Timothy to do this? With patience and teaching. He is to be long-suffering in his faithful teaching of sound doctrine. Why is Timothy to do this? Well, verse 17 that we read of the previous chapter, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In verse 2, Paul is really reiterating what he has said in verse 16 of the previous chapter. That well-known verse, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You see, it's only by being faithful to scripture that any minister or any preacher or any believer will be effective in pleasing the Lord in their ministry. The preacher has no power to convince The preacher has no power to reprove, rebuke. But scripture has that authority. There's a lot of content in this charge to Timothy. We've seen that it's a serious charge. And then thirdly, it is an urgent charge. Verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the myths. Paul has just charged Timothy to be a faithful preacher of the word. And now he says there's going to be some hard times. There's going to be opposition. A time will come. Time will come. That suggests that there's a change of direction, doesn't it? A change of mind. Those who are currently tolerating this teaching may one day turn from it. It's not that some will lose their salvation. We know that's not true. But, but the more faithfully that Timoth- Timothy preaches God's word, the more faithless some people in the church would prove themselves to be. And something, that's something that we see in every faithful church in the land. People with no foundation. Like the seed on the, on the path. They will not be able to endure sound teaching anymore. They will get sick of it. They'll be able to un- they're unable to endure sound biblical teaching, unable to hide the fact that they're only wearing veils of holiness instead of having a pure heart. And instead they go out and they actively seek to try and find somebody who will tell them what they want to hear. They have etching ears that can only be scratched by one remedy, to be told that they're good enough just the way they are. Continue in your sinfulness. Go here to get rich. Go there to get healed. People who are intolerant when confronted with the the truth of God's word. Paul says many will turn from this truth. 
Many will wander off into myths. Many will turn to fairy tales, to false gospels, into error. John MacArthur writes, when God's truth is rejected, Satan's lies are inevitably embraced. When God's truth is rejected, Satan's lies are inevitably embraced. Lies like you can have God's blessing without his forgiveness. You can have a salvation without your repentance. Lies like it's better to be entertained. Better to go home with a, a pleasant feeling. The word for sound, sound doctrine, literally translates as healthy. It's where we get our word for hygiene. Sound doctrine is healthy doctrine. It's nourishing doctrine. It's cleansing doctrine. That's what we have in God's word. Life-giving words. But lies leave us famished and hungry. And folks, with all respect, don't come to First Ruff Island to have your egos fed because it won't happen. Don't come to this church to have your sins approved of. Don't come to this church if you want to be told that you're good enough to get the glory by yourself. Because that's not the case. But do come if you want to hear God's word preached. Do come if you want to hear sound doctrine. Do come if you need spiritual nourishment. Do come if you want to know Jesus. Every man that stands in the pulpit, uh, including myself, might not be your cup of tea. But I sure hope that it can be said in First Refreshment they preach the word of God. Etching ears will not be scratched with lies here. And we should thank God for that. This is an urgent charge. For it's happening all around us. And it's been repeated down through the centuries. We should be careful to hold fast to sound teaching. To avoid snares and quicksand of lies and myths. We've noted that this charge of Paul to Timothy is a serious one. We've looked at its content. We know it's urgent. Now finally verse 5. As for you, always be sober minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So four things from verse 5. Four quick things. We see what the attitude is or should be to this charge. We see what the cost of this charge is. We see the extent of the charge. And we see the goal of the charge. So what's the attitude? Be sober-minded. Of course, that's not just saying, don't get drunk. <laughs> it's a state of mind. Preachers and believers are to be always, in all aspects, free from intoxication. Level-headed, well-balanced, in control. They are not to become intoxicated with pride or selfish ambition or worldly things. They are not to be man-pleasers, teaching what people want to hear. They are not to be trendy. They're not to be compromising. That's a very slippery slope. Instead, they're to be stable in faithfulness, unwavering in conduct, and steadfast in conviction. The cost of the charge? Suffering. Paul says to Timothy, you will face hardships. So endure them. Endure suffering. And folks, there's no such thing as a faithful ministry, preacher or otherwise that is not costly. A ministry that is effortless 
painless, without hardship, without woe and tears, it's probably not a useful ministry. It's probably shallow and fruitless. Because ministry is tough. It is draining. It is lonely in a worldly sense. It's tiring. It's it's excruciating at times when you see unbelievers just continue in their sin, men and women who have sat in the congregation for years. Never mind the obvious suffering of, of persecution and of mockery. Paul says, endure it. That is the cost of being faithful to the word of God. What is the extent of this charge? Do the work of an evangelist. Being an evangelist in biblical terms is a specific role. It's a particular office. Bringing the gospel to the unconverted. And Paul is not calling Timothy to be an evangelist. He's calling him to do the work of one. It's fair to say that this is not just a message for those who preach in pulpits. But it's a call for every Christian to proclaim the gospel. Timothy was where possible to confront unbelievers with their need of a saviour. Especially in church. That's the work of an evangelist. To simply help the unregenerate person become aware of their sinfulness. And to proclaim Jesus as the only saviour and lord. Nothing more and nothing less. We who are truly saved are all more than capable of doing the work of an evangelist without being one entitled or in office. Finally then, what's the goal of this charge? Fulfill your ministry. Timothy was to fulfill the unique ministry given to him by the Lord. He was to bring it to completion, to give everything, the full measure, be wholehearted. Paul wanted Timothy to be able to say with him one day, the words that he would pen just after this verse. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This passage is all about God's word. It's all about how important it is that it is preached faithfully. That it is understood. That it is given the place of primacy in the church and in the life of every believer. It's always preached in full view of the one of whom it speaks. It is to be preached at all times and in all circumstances, no matter the consequences. It is only by God's word that we can reprove, rebuke, or exhort a brother or sister. It is for those who need nourishment, and it's for those who need healthy doctrine. And it's powerful. Far more powerful than any man who ever preaches it. Because the, co- the power comes in the message, not in the messenger. It has the supreme authority on every issue. It is the word of God. Timothy was charged to preach it faithfully. Preachers today are charged with the same. And all believers are too. Folks, run from those who would lie to you about its power and its authority. Run from those who would dare not offend their listeners because they care nothing for your soul. Run from men who would change according to the surrounding just like chameleons. Run from those who would depart when discipleship becomes difficult. 
Run from those who seek the approval of man, for they are not servants of Christ. Be wary of those who ask the opinions of their listeners. How can we improve? What should we sing? What do you not like about the service? How can we accommodate you? Run to those who preach the gospel of Christ. Go to those who offend you. Go to those who tell you of your sin, who would reprove, rebuke, and exhort you in patience and teaching. Go to those who endure and who faithfully preach sound doctrine of the word of God, for they are the ones that love you the most. They are those who have truly heeded this charge by Paul. Folks, this charge is so important. And it's so important because God's word is so important. Salvation is in its pages. Nourishment and strength and blessings are in its pages. So listen to those who preach it well. Make sure to spend time in it every day. Endure sound teaching and live in its truth. Amen. Our last hymn may not have overly familiar words, I'm not sure, but the tune you will recognize, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. So let's all rise as we sing our closing hymn this morning, O Word of God Incarnate.
resurrection. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority, both now and forevermore. Amen.